This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome into the podcast. We are at the Toyota Center after the Rockets uh, 107 to 102 loss to the New York Knicks, the uh, Kristaps Porzingis New York Knicks, and it is the sixth loss in the last seven games for the Houston Rockets. They are in a deep slide and a bit of a crisis right now. Um, I'm here with my good friend M.K. Bauer of the Sports Exchange. M.K., I appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. And uh, obviously the big topic to discuss here is the firing of Kevin McHale, which I think shocked all of us. I don't think it's a bit of a crisis. I think this team is in full-blown crisis mode. And and, and it's interesting to me that you can look at the McHale firing um, in two ways, but it's not binary, if that makes a lot of sense to you. It's a panic move, and I think we all acknowledge that it's a panic move based on where they were last year, based on the reputation Mikhail had established as the coach of this particular team, and based on the fact they gave him a $12 million extension just last December. You follow, you fire him 11 games into the following season. That's indicative of you panicking based on what you've seen. Now, granted, what we've seen has been terrible. It's abhorrent. It's, it's, it's awful basketball. It's effortless basketball, and these things are problematic. And if you as a front office believe as your players have given up on playing for this particular coach, then you have to make that move because you can't eradicate yourself of the players themselves. But acknowledging that is not absolving them of blame. And, and it was interesting to me to hear Corey Brewer touch on this a little bit earlier this week on the, the game they played after McHale was fired against Portland about it's not his job to make us play hard or to try hard to give maximum effort. That's on us as players. So yeah. I know there's been a lot of discussion about that, and, and that's what the front office is cleaving to, and that's what Mikhail's wife took umbrage with by saying he's to blame for their lack of effort. No, he's not. But if you believe within your heart that they're no longer playing for him, then, yeah, he has to go because you can't rectify any issues if that's primarily the number one issue on the book. Now, and I, I kind of said this during, during the day after the, the firing was announced, I don't understand how J.B. Bickerstaff particularly fixes this specific issue. If the players have acknowledged that, as Ty Lawson said, the coaches were calling defensive plays, we ignored them and did something else, that's the coaches. J.B. Bickerstaff is the defensive-minded coach on the staff. How do you elevate him and expect these players to respect him, to pay attention to him, to give him full maximum effort when they disregarded a Hall of Fame coach, a Hall of Fame player, and a coach who most people view as a player's coach? The, the situation in itself doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, and I'm not sure how firing McHale solves all your problems. It just solves one specific problem, one that really reflects poorly on the players themselves. Yeah, I think that uh, that narrative is one that I thought I got a chuckle out of people saying, hey, Bickerstaff going to come in and, and fix the defense. Well, he's been in charge of the defense. You know, and it's, that's not something we didn't already know. And, you know, I just feel bad for McHale. I, a lot of people just ask my opinion, you know, if I thought he was, you know, if they needed to fire him. I thought, no, I, th- I mean, we were getting closer to a stage where you thought, you know, they might have to make some kind of change at a bigger level, but I just think that they needed to make a few additional changes. I thought 
putting in Terry, or it would have been Beverly had he been healthy. Um, that was an obvious change that needed to be made before making this kind of a, a move. I just feel bad for him. I mean, he was here as part of a rebuild. He's here as part of the group to get Harden. He was here as part of the group to get Howard. Um, and I, th- you know, he was a big part of, of reeling in Dwight Howard. I, to me, uh, I just, I, it, it shakes me a little bit to the core in the sense that, you know, is this foundation, this group of players, is it the right group? I mean, it makes me nervous about it because, like you said, if they're drowning out a Hall of Famer's voice like Kevin McHale, it'd be one thing if they just looked at it and said, you know what, we need to make a jump here on an X's and O's level. We need a jump for a coach, but it's it's a it's a the players drowned him out his voice and, and stopped listening to him. That to me genuinely concerns I'm me. I'm glad you made that point because that's the one point you and I have kind of been debating back and forth with, with fans on yeah. Twitter that he's a poor X's and O's coach and and now that at one point did that never come up during the, the presser with with Daryl Moore. He never said this is about X's and O's. It's about execution. We need better strategy on the bench. That, I don't remember hearing that come up. Did that come up at all? For, for no, more? I have not heard that at so, all. So I found it very interesting you bring that up because that's the one failing that most people have said that Kevin McHale's had, and then the front office never acknowledges that perceived failing of him as a coach. It's all about the relationship with the players, which, again, is strained and bizarre to me because he is a quote-unquote player's coach. Look, I, I think it, it's, it's a very poor situation when you have a locker room that has established leaders, guys who won championships in Jason Terry and Trevor Ariza, and they apparently can't steer that locker room away from the guys who are supposed malcontents. Now, I think you and I may disagree to an extent. Well, no, we agree on the extent that some of that is overblown by national media about how you can't win with Dwight Howard and James Harden in your locker room, but it reflects very, very poorly on those two guys when the leadership of your coach is being disregarded and they are the two best players on your team. They either need to rally those guys around their coach or they're the ones who undermine his authority in that locker room. And that's a horrible way to go for a roster that you've worked so hard, speaking of saying you and Daryl Morey, so hard to get all these pieces in place to get so close to a championship round last year and have everything fall apart right now. You can't fix this on the fly. Either this works with this particular group or you tear this particular group apart and you're basically starting over in the West. And that's a very daunting situation. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, you bring up another a great point about really wh- who's responsible here. We talk about losing the players in the locker room. He's not losing Montrez Harrell, Clint Capella, K.J. McDaniels. These guys are completely irrelevant as far as a coaching change being in order. We're talking about James Harden and Dwight Howard. If those guys said, Kevin McHale's my coach, Kevin McHale's still here. They're, they're still working through this. I mean, you could maybe say Les Alexander was just fed up and, and short fuse and said, I've had enough. But the players just had players-only meeting. This had to come from the players in the sense that they're saying, you know, we could maybe use a new voice. And I think that's where uh, I take a little bit of a step back. I'm concerned. You know, I, James Harden is an elite player. I thought last year, we, you know, a year ago we were talking about, uh, over a year ago after the 2013-14 season, you know, Harden's a fantastic player. He's got to mature. He's got to become more of a mature player. We, we saw that last year. He can't, comes out, plays defense in Spurs. He wasn't a great defender the whole time, but he improved Much better effort. than he was, yes. yeah. Proved effort and, and was, you know, an outstanding offensive player. Clearly has, came into this season regressed. I mean, he did not look like the same player, in, in my personal view. Just call it what it was. He's been awful defensively. Absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, his def- his offense has been off. That's going to come back around, just my personal opinion. But his effort has not been there. I, I've watched clips of many uh, 
transition defense situations for the Rockets, many situations where James Harden completely gives up on the play or just gives a token effort. Um, and I, I just wonder, again, I have no information to say this is definitely the case, but I, you have to wonder if, you know, McHale is talking to a guy like James Harden and, and telling him, you need to do this, you need to do that, and he just eventually said, I'm, I've had enough. Honestly, Dave, I would much rather my star player just plunge the knife in the back of the coach than to get on the court and not give effort and use that as a reflection of their relationship with the coach. We've seen Michael Jordan get Doug Collins fired. We've seen Magic Johnson get Paul Westhead fired. We've seen... Darren Williams get an all-time great and Jerry Sloan basically run out of Utah by just having clashes with a coach but they never took that on the court and to me, and I think this is where it, it treads in a dangerous water and concerning situation here, was he on the court blatantly not trying to basically point a finger at the coach at the bench and say, I don't want him here anymore because he doesn't have the personality or the leadership or the stones to go right up and, and have a true conflict with the coach and say, get him out of here to me, that's a really slimy way to go. I think that, again, we're speculating here. Yeah. But it seems like all the fingers are kind of pointing toward 13 in terms of how this whole mess is unfolding, and that's what's really concerning. I can't really wrap my mind around how he committed himself so thoroughly last year to being better defensively because he was embarrassed by all the vines and the YouTube clips and everything that happened in previous year, and he was indefatigable. You know, He was a great offensive player. He was a committed defensive player. And I don't know how you experience that from James's perspective, become an MVP caliber player and then immediately regress the season to just flat out not trying on t- at times defensively. Yeah. And I'm not like, I'm with you, I'm not concerned about the shooting. That That's really damning to me. And I'm, I'm curious as to where he's at in terms of what he's trying to accomplish or if he's just distracted. And that would be concerning as well. I, 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 it's, it's a weird situation. None of us knows 100% certain what's going on, but there are guys who have blood on their hands in terms of yeah. how this all unfolded. I, for one, think Dwight's absolved in all this because it was interesting to me just last week when you were, we were asking Mikhail about the defensive woes. He said Dwight's really the only guy who's given them what they've needed consistently defensively. So to me, he's still praising Dwight publicly. I don't think this is a white Dwight thing. I think it's 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 a 13 thing yeah. because there's something fractured there, and, and I can't understand why to underscore the point you made, which is a brilliant point, and kind of gets into my whole thing with KD and Russell Westbrook and Scott Brooks last year. If those guys walked into Preston and said, this is our coach, Scott Brooks is still the coach there. Sure. And there's a level of pass, you know, passive play where if you just step back and let things unfold, to me, that's the same thing as saying get him out of here. And if you don't stand up for your guy and if you let certain things just fall apart and you do nothing about it, that's, it's equal to saying I don't want him here anymore. People have joked about, uh, as far as Harden curses, the Adidas curse, uh, Chloe curse, <laughs> Little B, all, the, all this stuff. I do think, though, that, that, that maybe he had a summer where it wasn't anywhere near uh, what he had the year before with the Olympics and, and, you know, top coaches, top players in the world, you know, hammering home to him that he needs to, de- to defend. And that was a big focus for him in the Olympics. And he came in focused, I thought, here. Um, Maybe it is a more sinister, and maybe the, the the lack of focus is intentional. But I I just I worry that maybe he didn't take the summer quite as serious as he did in the past, and and that's why we're here. How do you get so close to the mountaintop though and back up? I think the one thing that if that's the case, and I think that's a legitimate question to ask, you're second in MVP voting. You've gotten your team to the Western Conference Finals, where they hadn't been as a franchise in 18 years. You played sporadically well in the postseason after being brilliant all during a regular season. How do you back up now? And I don't want to get this back into this whole Curry-Harden thing, but look at what Curry's done on top of where he was last year. Yeah. MVP last year, championship last year, 
he's even better now. I mean, yeah. he's he's taken that motivation of getting to the mountaintop and is looking for something even beyond that. And I can't understand how hard he can come into the season and have less focus and less effort based on how close he was to supremacy last season. If anything, that should motivate him to be better. And that gets back to our point of, did he kind of do this on purpose? I mean, sure. is this a is this a you know passive aggressive way to, to express to everyone that me and the coach aren't getting along? I don't like how he chides me. I don't like how he berates me. Whatever is the issue they may have had behind closed doors, and that has been touched on secretly, hush hush, nudge nudge, by his wife and by other people around Kevin McHale. That's 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 troubling. And back to my early point, how does JB Bickerstaff, a guy with no head coaching experience, with no true skins on the wall? How does he come in here and say, James, you got to do this, and James solves such straightens up the flash right? I'm, I'm dubious on that, I really am. Sure. No, I, I agree. I, I think as far as Bickerstaff goes, I think they're giving him a, a legitimate chance, but I think it's going to be a situation where, you know, you have another big free agent year, as the Rockets do every year, in the sense that they're going to at least go, you know, big game hunting again. And now you, instead of having that coach, like they're going to, you know, use Mikhail as a basically a hook to bring in somebody, they're going to use their open coaching slot as a hook to bring in somebody say hey you know not only could you you know we could get this coach and would that be great for you or what do you think of this coach and you you're gonna have input in on on who you could bring in here that's just again my my two cents looking ahead as far as Dwight goes I agree with you on the effort level I don't think this was um you know Dwight played his heart out for when when he was out here when he is out here yeah exactly and that's that's been a big issue again but I do think that I've heard him say so many times you know it starts with James and I James and I are the leaders I mean it's almost like he's convincing himself I'm you know I'm the leader of this team you have to hold him at least partly responsible in the sense that you know how could this team drown out the voice of the coach and, you know, we've got a, a leader that's a, a veteran, a guy who's been around and should know better. A, a big man. If he banged on the table, McHale will still be here. Yeah. I, I don't think you and I disagree there. If Dwight Howard went to Maury's office or Les Alexander's office and banged on that table and said, I want that coach here, that coach would still be here, particularly given what McHale can mean to him as a big man, Hall of Famer, great offensive player, all these sort of accolades relative to what his relationship with Dwight Howard. And I, I really, really struggled Wednesday night, Dave, not reading into everything that happened in that locker room. Because it was, I, I think I'm with you. I was kind of troubled by how the whole thing unfolded. And to me, it was weird. And, and maybe I'm wrong here, and maybe I'm, I'm just delving too deeply in the words. But they hear Dwight say after the game that he and Miguel had a pretty good relationship. You know, not great, not good. He qualified it. And I thought that was a little bit weird because I always got the impression from, from Kevin's perspective that they had a good relationship. Like, he, 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 he appreciated the effort Dwight gave him. Even when Dwight was banged up last year, no one questioned Dwight's work ethic in the postseason last season, or really the last two years, his production and his work ethic. And it was just kind of weird to him say pretty good in the midst of everything that kind of happened on that day. We'll never specifically know what happened, or maybe we'll find out at some point. But at this point, I don't want to keep pointing fingers at guys because we don't know what really happened. But it certainly is strange that 11 games into the season, based on where they were last year, that they suddenly had a poor relationship with their head coach. Yeah, and, and here they are they're in a situation where they're 5-9. and nine. And So this reminds me a little bit of, the, frankly, the 2012-13 Lakers, where another Dwight Howard team where he also was, uh, was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He can opt out of his contract. Just bad timing for the Rockets to suddenly head south. Again, it's still early. We've been saying that since, you know, game one. But, you know, we're, uh, you know, 14 games in now, and the Rockets look like a, like a poor team. 
what about free free agency in Dwight? I mean, what, uh, I mean, are we going to be putting up stay billboards here pretty soon here in Houston? I, I mean, this- I think the circumstances have changed dramatically in terms of how people view Dwight. But look, he'll be thirty next month. Um, he's had back surgeries and knee surgeries, and he's clearly not the player that he was physically consistently through the course of the game. We're seeing that even in the holding off of back to backs. I think when we watch him play. There are moments you see him labor up the court. Sure. You don't see the explosiveness through the course of the game. You see it in spots here and there. And one thing that's interesting to me, someone brought this up in terms of asking asking JB a question pregame today about do you get Dwight more touches. He's only averaged five field goal attempts per game the last four games. Does it look like they really missed him offensively? Yeah. Now, I think they're quite okay with him being a defensive savant, a rebounder, and doing little things offensively to help the offense go. But we're not looking at Dwight to get 20 points anymore. It, it's not necessary, I don't think, for yeah. him, for this team, and I think for his career moving forward. So saying all that, do you give him max money at 30 years old? I don't think so. Is there Are there going to be a long list of teams banging down their store to get him to come play for them? Not with the way the game is going right now with everybody you know, adhering to small ball and looking at the Warriors kicking ass all over the league by having Draymond Green play you know, at the five. You just don't need guys like Dwight consistently to give you huge minutes and huge production. Even as much as I love Boogie Cousins, they're not really winning with him doing great things. So I think the market is going to dry up for him specifically because the game has changed, A, and B, because of his age and his affliction. So I don't know how this plays out. I don't think if he's viewing himself as still as a primetime player deserving of $20 million a year, I think he's wrong. And if he's truly happy here and he truly understands what's going to embrace the next phase of his career as a rebounder, as a defensive player, as a tertiary scoring option, then maybe they'll work it out. If he still views himself as one of the best centers in the league, as an elite scorer, yeah. uh, we're going to have problems. I, I bet he uh, I bet he opts out just because I think that the big payday, the big the improved cap, I think he wants that, you know, another extension. I mean, because if it goes another year, like you said, you may see a decline again and then it'd be harder to get that money. I do think he opts out and looks for, you know, hopefully he wants to stay here, but I think he's going to look for a few years more, which uh, will be a, a tough choice for the Rockets. What in the world is wrong with Ty Lawson? This is getting a little bit silly. Uh, last eight games for Lawson, 4.8 points per game. This is on almost 28 minutes per game. 4.1 assists, 24.6 from the field, 1 of 15 from three-point range. Uh, this is like a, a guy who, I think this is beyond a slump. This is just something beyond that. Something's, uh, I don't want to say sinister, just something that, uh, you know, a chemistry issue, just a, uh, maybe so disappointed he's, he's not trying as much anymore. I, I just don't think he fits right now at all. Bing, 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 bing. I think we went from a guy trying to fit in, but carefully so, because he didn't want to disrupt the rhythm or the chemistry of a team that was a championship contender without him, to a guy realizing maybe I don't fit here and being a little bit overly cautious. Look, his numbers, and I, I didn't even recognize this until I just kind of looked at a pregame, but his shooting numbers have been in decline throughout the course of his career. Yeah, um, he's gotten worse, gotten worse every year in terms of just raw shooting percentage since he's been in the league. So maybe what the Rockets bought isn't what they thought they were buying, and, and that's a possibility. I think it's pretty clear, and you just acknowledge this: the fit just isn't working. As much as we all thought that James needed the ball out of his hands to rest on occasion or to be a catch and shoot option offensively, and that would help his legs and his productivity later in the season and even to the postseason. It ain't working. Yeah. He doesn't look very comfortable at all on the court with Ty Lawson. And we've already seen J.B. Bickers have acknowledged that by pulling Lawson out of the starting lineup, not just because of production, but because he talked about getting him hardened back on the court with Jason Terry, someone he's comfortable with, Yeah, which is a bizarre thing to say 
given that Terry got torched defensively last year in a postseason and really hasn't looked that, that no, good. He has had several moments this year where he's been torched. So it's like, man, we're, we're going to hinge our hopes on a 37-year-old point guard who's really past his prime defensively and can only give you one thing offensively and sit a guy we traded for who's supposedly in his prime, who was a dynamic player for years in this league. I don't think that fits right. And I don't know how long they hold on to the hope that they can figure out a way to make the fit right. No. But we're 15, 14 games into the year, and I see nothing that gives me an indication that Harden and Lawson play together. No. If you acknowledge that, then what do you do when Patrick Beverly comes back? Do you start Beverly? And then who's going to be the first start guard off Beverly. the bench? Is it is it Lawson or is it Jet? You still have to figure out how to make that guy fit into your offense. And right now, there are no signs available that show you he can fit here. Yeah, I think you start Beverly. You bring Lawson off the bench. If he struggles, you come with, in with Terry. Uh, you, you've got enough invested in him. I mean, granted, that they, they lucked out at this point to be able to work that contract to where now he's an expiring. But uh, you've got so much invested in him as far as being a great team this year. Uh, that's your big addition. You've got to get him going somehow. So I think that you know he comes off the bench. Uh, but I think. But do you see any signs of him getting going? No, I, you know I, I see nothing, Dave. Yeah. I, the, the, the confidence is completely gone. It, yeah. It's void. It, it's, it's nil. It doesn't exist. I agree with you. And, and there have been games. You know, he'll he'll drive, kick to nobody. Like he thought somebody was supposed to be at this spot or what have you. I think he's just lost here in, in, in how to play with this team. I I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. I think he's kind of given up on trying to fit in. He has. He's not having any kind of real positive impact. Matter of fact, in the last couple of games, when they come in with loss, and I said, this is the spot. Usually the Rockets are up at that point. And I said, this is the spot where he usually starts to decline. And then they don't come back with Lawson for, for some time. And I, it, So they've got to get it figured out. Uh, Maury Ball. Uh, people are talking right now that this is, you know, perhaps been solved, that it's now already an outdated philosophy, maybe like run and shoot in football. I don't know if I agree with that view, but, you know, you look at the Rockets – they, they, you know, they've, they've been leading the league in, in three-point attempts per game for the last several years now. But if you look since 2012-13 when they had their best three-point shooting team, a little under 37%, goes to a little under 36 Last year, a little under 35 Now we're under, under 30 And they are the worst three-point shooting team in the league while shooting the most. Is this not working, or is this just these guys just can't hit right now. I think this is a difficult question to answer because I, I, I buy into what Bickerstaff said pregame when he was basically addressing this very situation about what they say in offensive look. They've been getting the same looks offensively. Guys just aren't making shots. And, and you can't expect a team to adhere to a philosophy and do so successfully when James Harden is shooting 38%, 27% for a three-point range, when Marcus Thornton is shooting 33% from three-point range, when Trevor Reese is shooting 31% from three-point range, all the guys that you brought in to do a specific job aren't doing a job. And it's not about defense being better. They're just flat-out missing shots. Sure. So do you hold on to the hope that at some point everyone finds their level, they get back to the players they are, the proficiency returns from the three-point range, and you become that team again? Or do you believe that, you know what, maybe the roster construction here just isn't working with these particular players and it's problematic? Look, I don't buy into the whole Maury Ball thing being outdated because to an extent, the team that won a championship last year yeah. does the exact same thing. Exactly. Drive to the basket, just get layups, <laughs> and hit three-pointers. They just have two of the best three-point shooters we've seen ever in a very, very long time on the same team. So right. it kind of makes it seem like everything is glowy and rosy in Oakland, but really they're kind of executing the same philosophy. Um, I think when you have the good players, 
any philosophy looks good. You can run any offense if you got Michael Jordan running your offense or you got Steph Curry doing the things that he's been doing the first few weeks of the season. So I'm not really sure that this is any sort of indictment on Mori Ball. Maybe it's an indictment on roster construction. Yeah. Maybe he was wrong getting Ty Lawson. Maybe he's on the wrong end of the careers of Trevor Ariza and Marcus Thornton and Jason Terry. And maybe we haven't figured out a way to get James Harden actively involved offensively without beating him down at the same time. I think last year that, that stat that he led the league far and away in threes made and threes contributed to, well, he's doing the same things this year. He's hitting guys in, in pockets where they're open for threes. They're just missing. So I don't know if I'm ready to hit the panic button yet on Maury Ball, but I think at this point, Maury has to be concerned because he's worked really, really hard to get all these pieces in place. If these guys don't start making three-pointers, what the hell are they going to do? Yeah, that's you know you, you rattle off some of the, the three-point percentages that the, of the guys right now. I was looking at it. Terrence Jones is, uh, I think, 41% right now. And he's, he's only taken 17 threes. It's not really something you but he's hang your, your hat on. He's your yeah, Steph Curry. He's your Steph Curry. <laughs> the next best guy is Beverly and Thornton are both at 33.3%. That's below league average. And these are your volume shooters. Like you said, Terry, Ariza, Harden, Lawson, Brewer are all underneath there. Brewer's 21.6%. And when that guy shoots a three, you're just like, you know, that's just an extremely low percentage shot. And I just, it, that's what I think has just made me furious this year. It's just watching, you know, tons and tons of threes go up, which I'm all for, but just so many misses consistently. I'm surprised. Some of these guys should be doing a, uh, quite a bit better. You know, I, I think Maury made a couple of mistakes. I think maybe drafting Decker doesn't look good. I mean, they they, they, were, they knew there was a back issue, I think, at that point. Um, but I think the Josh Smith was probably uh, maybe a situation where, the, you know, especially if you knew Demo was going to be out for a long time. Um, because, you know, Josh Smith was, was under the impression, at least, that he didn't have a, a defined role here. He would have, I think, had an extremely positive impact here with the Rockets because I think we were expecting Lawson to sort of fill that void. It hasn't happened at all. And what is Josh Smith doing with the Clippers? Yeah. Not it, really much of anything. And he seemed to get along with just about everybody so here. That was a bizarre sequence of events to lose him. And, and again, I think, again, you made the most salient point here. If you knew that Demo wasn't going to be back at the start of the season, you got to push hard to get Josh Smith back. Sure. Because right now, a night like tonight, where Kristaps Porzingis rammed it up their backside the whole game, you were too big short. Yeah. Dwight Howard because he's sitting, and Demo because he's hurt. And you had a seven foot three rookie jumping over everybody and tipping balls, getting five balls and rebounds, and blocking seven shots because you were a big short. It sure would have been nice to have a Josh Smith out here just to at least contest some things yeah. and make things difficult. You can't do anything about Dwight Howard and, and Demo at this point, but I'd rather trade a big for a small, given the way things have unfolded with this roster right now. So, yeah, that, that's an issue. Look, last year they took 2,683s, and this year they're on pace for 2,657. When you made 933 and you're on pace for 787, that's kind of the difference. That's a huge gap in three-pointers made. So all the other things that we're talking about here, it boils down to shooting. If they're not going to make shots, they're cooked. And we can talk about their issues defensively, which are few, many and, and glaring. But if your whole team is based on rim attacks and three-pointers, and you can't make a three-pointer, and then your big man, your best post player, is going to come back sometime soon, yeah. whatever that is, then what are you going to do? And, and I think we're seeing byproducts of that. They've tried harder the last three games with J.B. Bickerstaff defensively. Their defensive field goal percentage has been better with J.B. Bickerstaff. But the results are the same. You know, they're giving up a lot of open looks. They're getting killed on dribble penetration tonight. The Knicks got every three-pointer they wanted because their guards, the Rockets guards, couldn't stop dribble penetration and had to give up you know, issues on help defense. They're a mess right now. Yeah. And just to, on that, to build on that Maury point, one other thing just wanted to add was that at least the perception of that time was 
part of why Josh Smith was offended was he was waiting for K.J. McDaniels. The Rockets were waiting for K.J. McDaniels, and obviously McDaniels is not in the rotation, had, <clears throat> hasn't had much of an impact. So, you know, yeah, you just have to weigh whether that was uh, something that – whether that was the right move for the Rockets. You want to close here with this question. How in the world do the Rockets get fixed? What do they do from here? I mean, they're they, – in my two cents, they haven't been – or I should say they are – they look like a lottery team because I think they've become a weaker team. Like we said, we expected Ty Lawson to have a bigger impact. Hasn't happened. They have the same problems that they've had for the last couple of years. They need a point guard solution. They need a power forward solution. Now, part of that is, is Donatus Motionis is out. Um, so he's hurting you at the five, not being able to play him there. He's hurting you at the four, not being able to play him there. And you haven't had the, that positive impact at the, at the point guard position. And, you know, with, with Dwight going in and out, you've just got, had big issues. So, I, to me, I think uh, they're just a weaker team. I don't know what they do necessarily to fix it moving forward. You're the master at, at, at manipulating trade scenarios, and you do it all year, <laughs> and I sit there to buy you, and I just kind of shake my head because I try to focus on this roster without thinking of all the other guys who can kind of come in. But clearly, despite all the machinations they've done, they still don't have a point guard. And yeah. they gave money to Beverly, who's always hurt. Um, they, they traded for Lawson, who looks like an awful fit here. And Jason Terry's 137 years old. So I don't know how you manage, you know, those three guys being your point guards, and none of them quite work in terms of completing the issue with your team. Um, again, it gets back to James Harden being your point guard on the team and just dumping everything on the shoulders and expecting that to work. And I think that's something that, to me, I think was was lost a little bit on the Rockets. Everyone thought the ball was going to be in Ty Lawson's hand and, and James, James Harden was going to play off the ball and, you know, get spot-up threes and, and make cuts. And I just never understood that. It was the same thing with Tracy McGrady where I thought, I remember Ray for Alston had that year in 05-06 where he was getting all these assists and said, well, just wait till you know Tracy McGrady comes back. His assists are going to go through the roof. I'm like, no, it's going to be, they're going to go down because Tracy McGrady is you know the de facto point guard of this team. And it's the same here. I mean, they I, to me, they need a guy who can defend, a bigger guy uh, who can knock down three-point shots. I mean, Beverly, in a lot of ways, should be the ideal mold. He's just not a great three-point shooter. And he's always hurt. Yeah, and he's always hurt. So I, to me, I, I, you know, they were looking for something in Lawson, you know, a guy who could run pick and rolls, just be blur, set up the offense, and you know, be a playmaker when Harden's off the floor. Uh, it just hasn't happened. So that that it, to me is it was a swing and a miss. Yeah, and, and I think after several years of seemingly every move being the right move, even moves we questioned in advance, Corey Brewer and Josh Smith, and then they work out. This was a swing and a miss, and now they're kind of staring at the reality of the point that we brought in doesn't fit with our team. The point that we just gave multiple years and millions of dollars to is always hurt and doesn't really solve all the issues, and we're kind of stuck because I don't know how you can move either one of those guys at this point and get anything of value for them, and if you bring anybody else in, you're just further muddling up your, your rotation yeah. and your roster. So they're going to have to try to make do with what they have, and to me, you fix the, 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 to answer your question, you shoot better, you get Timo and Dwight back healthy and consistently playing, and you just hope that James could find a way with his shot particularly and then just handle the workload again because I think ultimately it's going to get back to him playing 39, 40 minutes a game and having to do everything for the team offensively. So just my, my uh, three cents at the very end here is I would start Beverly absolutely when he gets healthy. you got to get Demo back when that's going to be. I mean, the rumor's in December, uh, but you got to get him back. And I my my... my uh, Hope here is that they trade Terrence Jones before the February trade deadline. I, Terrence has been great in a lot of ways, but I think 
I just don't think he's the right fit. I think you can make a great jump at a, at a power forward position by trading Jones. He's going to be a, a free agent just like Demo. I don't think you can pay both of those guys. I think Terrence Jones is the guy that they probably will trade. We, of course, ended this podcast with a Dave Hardesty trade scenario, <laughs> so we got to put a ball in right there. That's the perfect ending to this. MK, I appreciate you doing this, man. Thanks, Thanks. man.